So the message tonight um, is called Perfect Timing, and it's set from Galatians chapter 4. If you can turn, to me, turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, very beginning. <clears throat> the focus will be on from verse 4, but we'll read. Uh, before I begin, just uh, I want to thank Pastor Frank uh, for this honor, this privilege, uh, allowing me here tonight, Lord. Um, thank you for Pastor Frank. Pastor Frank, if you're listening, thank you so much. Um, you're, you're a great father to me. So um, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So, <clears throat> there's a lot, obviously, there. And um, this is in, from the book of Galatians, which is a book that addresses legalism in the church. And Paul is explaining to the Jews and the Gentiles that our justification is through faith alone in Christ. And he goes on to explain how um, no one is justified by the works of the law. So the message uh, tonight prepared is starting from verse 4, which, as you see highlighted there, says, but when the fullness of the time had come. The fullness of the time, there's a whole lot of meat and potatoes there in verse 4 and 5, which we can get into uh, another time. We wouldn't have the time right now, but this is... Because of the Christmas season, uh, I felt it was, it was a good time appropriate to talk about Jesus coming at the time that he came. Um, Pastor Frank has done, obviously, so much on the prophecy of, of Christ and, um, and what Christmas means. And so, so I thought we'd piggyback a little bit today about the fullness of the time and Christ being here born at this appropriate time. Now, it begins with but. Now, anytime you see but in the Bible, you want to go back a little prior and see what it's pertaining to. So if you read prior in verse 3 and 2, Paul is telling us that before Christ, we are under the spiritual um, grasp of the world. We're under the principles of the world, and we're not um, free. We're slaves. But Christ sets us free and makes us heirs to God, sons and heirs to God. So in the context of the chapter, he's talking about us being sons of God and heirs just as Christ is because we're adopted into the family of God. But when the fullness of the time had come, um, three areas I'd like to focus on, the preparation, the promise, and the piety. First, the preparation. So, I know a lot of times now as, as new believers, we, we read our Bible, and we're new creations in Christ, so we have a biblical world lens, and um, that's the way it should be. And with that, it can be hard to remember what it was like prior um, to coming to the Lord. And it can be hard to understand um, things from a secular point of view, which is a good thing. But at the same time, it's interesting to know that you know, God, he, he, he's been preparing things to happen and take place the way they take place. God is sovereign. God is in complete control. And the birth of Christ was no different. It was born at the perfect time. 
So we have the Bronze Age. We have the Iron Age. We have all these things go out throughout history. And in those eras in antiquity, and as history unfolds, changes are taking place in history. The economy is improving, right? Advancements are made in tools and weaponry. Um, there's a collaboration of people from different regions in the world. Trade is increasing, commerce, reading and writing is established. All this is done because at just the right time, God would come. Now, these are making it possible for the message of the kingdom of God and salvation to be spread throughout the whole world. Um, the linguistic records make it possible to spread information. Now, Alexander the Great, back in uh, 280 BC, um, in Alexandria in Egypt, he's the one who translated the Old Testament um, the Hebrew from the Hebrew to the Greek and gave us the, the Septuagint. Uh, Matthew 24, 14, Jesus tells us, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, okay? And then the end will come. So we know that the end will only come once the gospel is reached throughout all the nations. This is like a prerequisite to the Lord's return. Um, and for that to happen, history has to unfold and preparations have to be made. Let's see here, that's maybe a little hard to see, but there's evolution of writing materials. Obviously, for the, for the documented word of God, the written word of God, history had to unfold so we could provide, um, so man can then take the inspired word of God and spread it throughout the world. Now, the timing, I don't um, quite, dis quite agree with on some of these as far as cave drawings, okay? I guess he used Pastor Frank's uh, tools. It's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, he's got some cool gadgets up here. Um, the cave drawings, while the timing might not be something I agree with, and, and um, we, we do know there were cave drawings where, you know, primitive, primitive um, times people would use what they had, and they, through pictures and symbolism, they would, they would draw down what took place. Um, then over to, to clay drawings, clay tablets, right? Papyrus is established in Egypt, which comes from, like, the weeds down by the marsh in Egypt, and that's, like, a, the first form of paper, where writing can be established. And it progresses to where we get parchments, which is like a leather type and more durable paper coming come from trees, okay? So you see the progression and, um, of how, how documentation can be effective. This is important because Christ does not yet come. Well, Christ has to come after this is established because what's going to happen? The gospel message has to go out. And we're going to see there's a lot of preparations taking place throughout history to show that God is sovereign. It's not by accident. It's not a mistake, right? And it's just mind-blowing, and it was a lot of fun putting this together because it deepens your understanding of just how amazing God is in complete control, right? So um, back at the time when Christ was born, okay, we, we have the Roman Empire that's established, okay? Now, the Roman Empire is a very complex... Um, in-depth uh, topic to discuss. Okay? There's a lot that's transpired for the, the forming of the Roman Empire. So to keep it short, and you guys know me, I'll do my best. Okay. The bottom line is um, it's important to take from this that Greek culture and Roman culture is, has set what we have today in Western civilization. Okay? A lot of our civilization and what we have, democracy, laws, justice, and the way we live began... Um, because of the Greek and Roman influence in the world, okay? So God is preparing people and preparing geographically, geologically, and historically um, 
the coming of the Messiah. Now, Caesar Augustus is a big, is a big part of this, okay? He was born uh, Gaius Octavius. Um, that's his name. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. And just to give you a quick backdrop of the Roman Empire, what happened was it used to be called the Republic prior to Caesar Augustus, okay? And it was always built by military leaders. So there were three military leaders who gained power, and they wanted to see who could be the most powerful, one of them being Julius Caesar. Um, the Senate, um, who disagreed with Julius Caesar, kills Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar has a great nephew, okay, who was starting to become established before his death. He was adopted as his sole heir, which is interesting because you go back to Galatians and the study. He talks about as being heirs to Christ, okay? And this is a lot of things just to touch on and not get off trap topic, but there's a lot of similarities you'll see um, between the times then and, and the times to do with Christ and his birth. Um, so... So the three, now Julius Caesar adopts Caesar Augustus. Again, same concept, him and two other people, one Mark, uh, Mark Antony and another one Marcus Lepidus. They're military leaders, they rise to power. With that, they have to confront the Senate. And they have to decide what's going to be the future of the Roman Republic. The Roman Republic is in poverty, there's a lot of trouble, there's crime, people are starting fires, people are, it's like an inner city that's just in an uproar. We, we've seen what that's been like, right? We, we get that. Um, wasn't any different back then. So Caesar Augustus, he is, he's shrewd, he's a politician, he's a hard worker. He, he continues to persevere and try to become a great, elevate himself as the leader of Rome, okay? He does it, but he does it through a lot of manipulation. He does it through a lot of conniving and using people. He does it in a way that you would suspect most politicians work today. He appeases people on both sides. He has to please the people and he has to please the Senate, um, People who are against him, he hasn't murdered, okay? He takes from one area to give to another, all for his purpose to gain full control, okay? Now, maybe good intention, thinking he knows what's best for Rome, that's fine, but I just want to touch on real quick, he's the type of an antichrist, okay? He's the type of an antichrist, and there's a lot of parallels that we can talk about, about the future of Christ's second coming, but again, that's for another different study. Um, but we should know from this, and why it's important pertaining to our message, is that he restored Rome. He took them from that broken republic and gave them what was called Pax Romana, Roman peace, right? Roman peace, okay? He established laws um, to stabilize marriage and help the population grow. He expanded the empire for power and control. You'll see this whole area here. It's important, all this colored area. This is where um, Caesar Augustus took uh, uh, power over. It expands further, and we'll see that in a little bit. But... He does some amazing things. Number one, uh, he built roads, okay? He has roads established here. He, he develops travel. Why is that important? Because look at the roads being used for spreading the gospel. God working all things together for good, right? Tito, Romans 8, 28. Everything that man is trying to do for his own purposes, gain, gain power, God flips it and uses it for his own purposes, for good. This is the same God that we see working today, the same way he did it back then. And Christ's coming and the timing of his birth is no different, okay? So he reformed the Roman system of taxation. He started censuses, right? He, why? Because they needed money. Money to, for, for military, money for buildings, for growth, for education, for agriculture. He's, he's, sent, he's taking money from the people and making Rome prosper, okay? Um, he developed the first... Delivery system, the courier system, like the, the post office, 
Okay? He established a standing army, uh, the Praetorian Guard, to protect the emperor. He, he started the first police and, and uh, firefighter services, like a civil um, jobs. Okay? Like I said, because prior, he's growing up in the Republic, which is filled with crime. They start fires. He says, hey, let's start a fire, 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 fire the company to put out the fires. Let's start police to address the, the crime. Um, all nice things, all looks good, but he does it through deception and through manipulation and personal gain, which is important to remember. Very different contrary to, to thank you, to um, very different than, than, than Christ coming here, right? Now, the, the network of roads that he built is very important, okay, as far as... Um, being able to spread the gospel. But it's important to know that not only did he claim himself to be an emperor, okay, he was worshipped as a, as a god. And because, like I said, he took such a place of low poverty and took him to a place of prosperity culturally, not really in the human heart as Christ did, okay, but culturally where agriculture is flourishing, trade is flourishing, the, the civil... Uh, order has, has been put in place, right? People are now able to raise families safely, and it looks like Rome is growing. They're taking over other areas. This this empire is not growing by people being kind to one another. It's it's by murder and and stealing and taking from from one to give to another. That's how it's built. Now the Senate, his name alone, Augustus, was given to him by the Senate. It means like exalted one, praised and highly respected one. Okay, that's why I say he's like an antichrist. Um, he also, uh, wanted to touch on, he, he, was, he was given his title, Caesar Augustus, but what's more interesting is that he found a way to manipulate the people and be called the son of a god. All right? What he did was, he had studied astronomy, okay? And this is how, he, like I said, he deceived the people. He tricked them into this idea. When his great uncle, uh, Julius Caesar, is killed by the Senate, he holds a big three-day funeral for him. In being an astronomer, he knew there was a comet that was supposed to be coming. So he prepares it around that time. And prior, also, there was a volcano that had caused a lot of uh, darkness in the sky because of a recent volcano, okay, in the area. So as a comet that was foreseen passes through the dark sky and lights it up, he says, look, it's Julius Caesar. So Julius Caesar was proclaimed a god, okay, in the heavenly, saying that he's returned. And therefore, him being the sole heir was the son of a God. You see, the, you see the double standard in the Antichrist, that we are children of God, all right? Through the son of God, Jesus Christ, we're heirs. We become children of God, adopted into his family. Now he's claiming to be the son of God. Um, he does this in a lot of ways. He makes coins for himself, okay? The uh, divine filius, which means son of the divine. And this is something what it would have looked like, a little bit etched off at the bottom. It would have his name, Augustus, and say son of the divine. This is the Roman Empire now increasing a little bit more at its, at its, its greatest extent, okay, its highest point roughly around 100 A.D. to 200 A.D., okay? Um, what's so important about this? Well, how does it pertain to when the fullness of the times have come? Look at the area that strategically God has it set up for, not just over here in Israel, but all throughout being able to touch Asia, Eastern Europe, all of Europe is covered, Africa, right? And all continents can be reached from this area. We know the New World. You would travel here from Great Britain. Here's Spain. All right, modern-day Spain. 
you would travel to the New World, to America, and the gospel is preached, right? By the pilgrims. Um, this area is so strategic, and it's, you see it's surrounded by water, trade, and the ability to spread the gospel is now established and prepared. God allows this. It's prepared by mankind, man in his pride, thinking, I'm going to make an empire. I'm in control. I'm the son of God. Well, guess what? We're going to flip it and we're going to turn it for good. We're going to use this as something good. And at just the right time, during this era, because he reigned from uh, 27 BC to 14 AD, dead smack in the middle, who comes? Jesus Christ. He's born. All right? The rock. You know, we'll we'll talk about this, but but he he said something really arrogant on his last words, Caesar Augustus. He says, I found Rome a city of rock and clay, rock and brick, and it left it a city of marble. True, he developed it, and he's, he's very arrogant in, in that, and prideful in that accomplishment. He's just very proud of himself, but who comes in the middle to smash it? The rock, the rock Jesus Christ, and destroys the marble. You know, I found that pretty interesting. Um, again, being used by God, the, the preparation for, for Jesus to come, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. We read this so often just as our Christmas and our biblical account understanding that, hey, this is how Jesus had to end back at Bethlehem, um, the city of David. The decree is, is, is to go out back for the registration for the census, and that's why Jesus is born in Bethlehem. But Caesar Augustus is using this because he has this entire empire, remember that map, everyone going back to their area, where they're from, to pay their taxes, Okay, he's using it as a way to get more money from the people, and God uses that as a way to bring the Son of God, the true Son of God. All right, pretty interesting. And Caesar Augustus, um, pompously, pridefully thinking he's doing it, he doesn't understand that God's preparing all of humanity for the true revelation of God, you know? And then, of course, going forth, um, those areas, while we're here, let's think about down the road in the book of Acts, what happens? You have Ethiopia, the, the, the eunuch, who's preached by Philip, right? Down in, in Africa. You have, you know, the Roman, you think about all the Romans, the centurion at the cross. Think about um, Cornelius and his family, right? Being saved when Peter is told to go there, okay? So why, while, yes, the Paul and, and the, the, the revelation and the spread of the word of God through um, the epistles is the primary way of spreading the gospel, don't forget... People are traveling. People are like we are. They're talking. They're conversing. They're interacting. They're living their everyday life. All right? And some of them are saying, hey, people of the way, as they referred to Jesus Christ as, right? The people of the way, the followers of Christ, you got to see what's going on over there in Judea, in Capernaum. You know, he's raising people from the dead. (laughs) He's giving sight to the blind. These people are living this out in their everyday life. And it's just fascinating how God would, would, would develop all that. The other thing that's probably more important um, in preparation is man's heart being prepared, right? I mean, you think about your personal um, testimony and how God had to prepare your heart, you know? How many times, like, you had to have little links, as Pastor Sam liked to say. I love that one time he told me how it's just little chain links connecting, you know, all the way to your heart. Um, Maybe it's a word planted, you know? It could be from 
when I was a child as a Catholic priest, you know, just little tidbits of something I heard, you know, liking and, and, and adoring and, and, and coming to understand there's a God, you know. It could have been a little um, enjoying watching the Easter Sunday movie, Jesus of Nazareth, you know. Then it's prayer. My mother-in-law praying for her son-in-law that I didn't even know years prior. God hears those prayers and connecting more chain links. Then my wife, you know, planting seeds in me. I mean, it goes on and on, and nothing is lost. Nothing is by coincidence. It's God sovereignly orchestrating things, and when the fullness of the time comes, new birth. Jesus is born at the right time. We're born again at the right time. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's fascinating, I think. So, um, if we talk about man's heart being tested, we obviously have to remember Israel, right? Tested and suffering his chosen people who he allowed to suffer for our good so we could be grafted in, right? Um, slavery in Egypt, being besieged by all, the, all the, the, the conquering nations, Assyria, Babylon, the Persians, the Hellenistic Greeks, Romans. Um, you think about the faith tested by Abraham and, and Sarah, okay? Waiting, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds, right? Um, a verse here talking about hope, the, the hope they must have had. They're waiting for the Messiah, People are waiting for answers. People are suffering through the Roman Republic. Them too in the secular world, they're trying to hold on to hope. Okay, we were, For we were saved in this hope, Romans 8, 24, 25 says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It took a lot of perseverance and people are eagerly waiting. Not just Israel, but God's preparing mankind for the coming Messiah. The secular world, the Roman Empire, is used dramatically in spreading that and, 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 develop, and the times that historically when Christ is born, people's hearts are now ready for the coming Messiah. Um, pagan worship is at its climax during this time. Okay, The Romans and the Greeks, anything goes. They had more pagan gods than flowers. You understand? Now, that's obviously not where God wants their heart to be, but what does it do? It, it softens them up to the idea that, okay, I can hear about this new Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, I can accept this message. You know, I could, it, it gives them a more... You ever talk to people and they're just not ready to hear you? You know? I mean, think about how many people you witness to and, 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 and talk to, and it goes right out the other ear. Think about how many times that was like for us. People trying to penetrate you and, and give you a word, and you're just not having it, Right? And then what happens? Other times you talk to people. Okay, let me consider it a little bit there. Oh, yeah, I got a good point. I'll listen to you, right? You witness to people and they'll hear you out, but they're really not ready yet to come to the Lord, right? Then you witness to other people and they, they want to hear more and they're excited and they start coming to church, but they're not ready to give their life to the Lord, right? And then you, you know, see other people you preach to, right? You know, they're ready. Their hearts are prepared. I don't know what it was. My wife said the right words to me to shake me up. I always bring her up. I don't embarrass her, but she always, she hit me right where I needed to be hit. And it was the right timing. You know, 11 months prior to me being saved in, in um, March 2012, she told me clearly, like, if you don't know Jesus Christ when you die, you're going to go to hell. She said, you know him here, but you don't know him here. And those weren't easy words to hear, but they were necessary, and it was the right timing. God was preparing my heart to be able to hear that word. And it bore fruit, praise God, right? So at just the right time, he comes. Ecclesiastes 3, uh, 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
right? Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the, the work that God does from beginning to end. You can't understand why God, why did he decide Jesus be born in Bethlehem? Why did he decide that it had to be at this time, right? Why not during Egypt? Why did they have to go so many years, Israel, struggling, right? Because everything's beautiful in its time. God's timing is perfect. It's perfect timing. And he's put it in their hearts. Notice it says there, this is pertaining to all people, uh, Solomon speaking of, okay? He's put eternity in the heart of man. Everybody has that God-given desire to want to know God. It doesn't matter where you're from or who you are, but it's been put there by God. Um, Common, uh, someone we think about in, in... in the Bible, especially during Christmas time, um, is Simeon, right? One of Pastor Frank's favorites. Um, Luke 2, 25, 32. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Um, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it, came, and, had, excuse me, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Gabish, the face of all peoples. He's preparing it for everybody. You understand? And now he's letting him depart in peace according to your word because he said it's going to happen. If he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Part two, the promise. So God's preparing people, God's preparing mankind, preparing their heart. Jesus is born just the right time. It's no coincidence. It's when it was supposed to be geographically in the world, historically in the world, as far as being able to spread the gospel, being able to get man's heart ready being able to have people's hearts and minds open to accepting God and, ha- and want to desire a relationship. These are many verses. We're not going to go over any of them, really. It's uh, just a few I jotted down. Pastor Frank has done more than we could ask as far as providing prophecy for Christ's birth, okay? Um, we want to just remember th- there's some key verses in there that God is faithful in his promise, right? One will come to crush the serpent's head, all right? Uh, a big one I like is not just that Isaiah 7, 14, and 9, 6, uh, talking about the virgin child and be born um, and all the titles that we give the Lord, but the government shall be upon his shoulders and the government shall have no end, right? Of his increase, there shall be no end. The Roman Empire is not going to last forever. This comes at a time where the Roman Empire is going to be humbled. This is man and his pride expanding the Roman Empire at the perfect time, the climax of man saying, Look at this. Look at, look at who I am. It's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar when he went out on the balcony and said, look at everything I've done, right? Well, what did God do to him? I humbled him and made him eat grass like a cow, right? So at just the perfect time, when all the fullness of the time had come, when man was pridefully ready to be humbled, here comes the humble little baby, the son of God. Let me show you what a real king looks like. Let me give you the real prince of peace. While they're all pursuing uh, Pax Romana, Romana Pax, and the, the, the Roman peace, prosperity, food, trade, you know, everybody's doing good, everybody's making a good living, everybody's eating, everybody's comfortable. Hey, every, do whatever you want. You can have as many gods as you want. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like the times we're in now, right? Just at that time, that's when Christ comes. The perfect timing. You know, it's not by mistake. 
Um, Luke 26, uh, 226 and verse um, 29. That might not be correct. But I, oh, yes, it is. Actually, I, skipped. I just wanted to talk about the according to his word again. Um, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. This is Simeon understanding that according to your word, he's giving God thanks and saying, I waited to the very end of my life, you know, and, and now you're letting me depart in peace because your word is faithful. The Bible says the word of the Lord endures forever, all right? And every word of God proves true. Um, you know, uh, the truthful lips shall be established forever. I jotted this down today, actually, just at the last minute, uh, Proverbs twelve nineteen. The truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. There's a big contrast there between the times Christ is born, that lying tongue, man's power, the Roman Empire. We're establishing the government. We're going to prosper. Well, that's temporary. It's but for a moment. The truthful lip will be established forever. The word of God and Christ coming. <laughs> okay? Um, in John 18, 36, Jesus answered um, to Pilate in the conversation, right, that we know of. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. That caught me because the times are in, there's lies everywhere. There's lies about what really matters. There's lies about the prosperity of what's going to satisfy you. There's lies about, hey, as long as we have things in order, as long as there's, you know, people getting fed physically, they don't need anything else. Agriculture's grown. Trade has grown. Commerce has grown. We're in control of the world. We're a superpower of the world. Nobody can touch us. Nobody's going to mess with us. We're the Roman Empire. Everything is fine. No, Jesus says to who? A Roman governor. <laughs> no, I come to bear witness to the truth. You're living a lie. What you're doing is false. You think you're, you're in the natural, you're in the world here, and it's God's temporary, right? But I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven, and I'm showing you there's a lot more you're missing. There's so much more. My, it's about your heart, right? He wants to change his heart. If you're of the truth, you hear his voice, you know? Um, and God's amazing because... I just happened to be reading like regular reading on my own and, and I wasn't preparing for this, but I read in the Psalms 146 and it applied to kind of what we're, um, we're talking about today. So Psalm 146 says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help, Right? His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Now I'll start. Obviously, the one that stands out the most is do not put your trust in princes, right? People in that time, they're putting their trust in mankind, in princes. You have this supreme, worshipped human being 
Caesar Augustus, who, who was the Roman emperor, and people have not seen anything like it. These other countries, these other nations, they're not developed like Rome was. They didn't have the knowledge and the ability and the power that they had. And all these other countries are being overtaken, and they're probably prospering from it as well. Because doing more research on that, I found that the neighboring areas he did not conquer, they were at peace with him. He was a very good politician, Caesar Augustus. He appeased people. He knew how to keep things where he wanted them to be, which is what you see today as well. That's just the charisma of a politician. But he do it for personal gain. They don't do it in a loving, selfless way that God does it. There's a very big contrast between how man does things, obviously, and God does it. So the Psalms tell us, don't put your trust in people, right? They're going to die. Their plans are going to perish with them. Um, some eternal concepts that keep truth forever, right? That, that uh, Roman Empire is going to eventually, about 500 years later for the most part, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. Um, who gives food to the hungry? That stood out for me because you think about Jesus doing the loaves and the fish, multiplying, right, and feeding it, providing more. You think about, I think about when he tells Peter, when he can't pay the, the temple tax, he says, go, go to the first fish you catch, right, throw in your hook and line and sinker, first fish you catch, you're going to take out a coin. There was enough, right in there for both their temple tax, by the way, when he took out the coin from the fish. He provides. God provides in ways that we don't even understand. Mankind and the Roman Empire feeding the poor, they're taking it from other areas and giving it to, to their people, okay? Caesar Augustus conquered other lands and he, gave, he built military homes for his soldiers because he knew he had to keep the, power, the area safe and could increase his power. God doesn't do this, right? This is an antichrist. Him doing it in a selfish, prideful way to build himself up, to glorify himself, man, not God, which we know from the very beginning in Genesis is always antichrist, Right? It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I mean, that's, that's some call the center of the Bible. Um, I haven't done it, of course, and, and I don't know if I ever will. It looks like it's too hard a task. But if you fold the Bible in half, you'll see that this is just about in the very center of the Bible. You know, I don't know if Faith, maybe you know about that. Is, is it positive? Does anybody do any background on that? But think about that verse, man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. If that's the center at the, of the Word of God, the very center of it, that's, that's just amazing how God can orchestrate that into the Word of God. He gets it dead center. Because that's the key. Everything's based off of that. It's better to trust in the Lord and to put confidence in men. And this is why we need a Savior. This is why we, we have Jesus, because we're fallen from our sin, right? And our sin keeps us away from the Lord. And we needed somebody to bring us there, reconcile us to Him. Um, number three, the piety. Now, piety, um, you know, an old-fashioned word, one we don't use often, so put in some just uh, uh, additional references, similar um, synonyms there. Faithfulness, devotion, right? Godliness, holiness, reverence, sanctitude, obedience, compliance, submission, duty, okay? These are, these are pious personality traits. Um, now, you could, one can argue and say, well, Caesar Augustus had some pious in him. Um, you know, some pious behavior characteristics. He was faithful to his job, right? He was um, devoted, okay? Uh, I'm not sure there's much else there. Duty, maybe. He, was, he would definitely uh, fulfill his duty. He, was, he, he worked hard and strived to achieve a goal, okay? So in that sense, it applies. But remember, the key is that, who was he doing it for? Who's he doing it for? I mean, and what's, what's the motive? Another thing that I always remember Pastor Frank laying on us is check your motives, Right? Check your motives. And, and, and 
this, this is how you determine the state of our heart and where we're at. You know, Jesus, his faithfulness and obedience and devotion is the will of the Father. I came to do his will, you know. He's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of others. He's thinking of us. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.9. Uh, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Okay? Jesus is coming at just the right time where mankind in its Roman Empire, arguably the greatest empire, most influential empire of all history, okay, the most wise, having acquired what they got from the Greeks and all the learned um, ancient civilizations that they have acquired and and then, you know, um, uh, solidified in a sense and, and just mastered, let's say. They've now applied it. They're, they're considered the wise. They're considered that they know how things should be done. This is what it's about. Well, Jesus comes at just that right time to destroy their wisdom, to show them that. He says in verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Okay, it's foolishness. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, which is amazing, right? It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Power and wisdom. It would seem that at those times, mankind, you know, under the control of the Roman Empire and what they were doing and establishing an earthly kingdom, they looked more powerful than ever before, more wise than ever before, and Christ comes and born just at that right time. It has a bigger impact because of the fullness of the times, you see? That's what I'm saying. There's, there's, it's, every word is there. For a reason, right? Jesus said, not one little tittle of the law. You know, every single part of the, has a purpose. And that verse in 4, uh, Galatians 4, 4, it's clear in the times that he came. Um, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. right? God is orchestrating this. While man is thinking, we're going in this direction, God is saying, well, actually, we're going in this direction. We're going to work it for good, you know? And we all know there's so many examples in the Bible about that. We know that in our own life, right? Um, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. This is Psalm 121. I mean, you, you you have to hold on to this verse if you're waiting for the Lord. You know, you have to remember he doesn't sleep. And it's funny because at Christmas time I wrote in there, I was singing, you know, just... At the time I was writing this, so I put it in there. Like We have that song about Santa Claus, right? He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Well, that's Jesus. They made this about Santa Claus, all right? Another type of idolatry. Another type of, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm not going into all that about Christmas and celebration and Santa Claus. But what I'm saying is, you see man put a twist on what God does. Satan's very good at making men think they are much more in control than they are. And I, I mean, look, look at your own life. I look at myself and say, wow, man, you just have no idea what you're doing. Well, it was just <laughs> you blew that one, you know, right? Like over and over again. It's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in men. Um, again, we see piety now, the, the faithfulness of Jesus in this verse. Um, 
before he's going to the cross, he says to his disciples, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He's being faithful to the reason he came. Okay? In his humanity, did he have the option to not want to do it? Could he, could, did, could he walk away? He's faithful. He's pious. Right? He's pushing through. He's showing that I'm going to do it the way a real king does. You know? I'm not going to send... I'm, I came here for a purpose. I'm going to complete it. Very opposite of what Caesar Augustus and, and how he lived. Um... When I started this, actually, there was a few areas where, and it's probably going to lead me into a different study. As I said, uh, Caesar Augustus, a form of an antichrist. Um, there's comp- some comparisons that I found, and uh, though we talk about that, it's um, it's from a a, a, a Christian um, a pastor, and uh, these are his words. It says Augustus was born around 63 B.C. in Italy in a town near Rome to a prosperous family. Okay. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Okay, but at that time they were affluent. He can go to all the good schools. Like I said, he learned military training, astronomy. He he was the silver spoon type. Okay, yes, don't get me wrong. He he had he had. If you know a little about him, he he had to work through things. He had perseverance. He would get sick a lot. He showed himself to be a good leader as far as in, in the man in, in man's eyes. Um, but very different from how Jesus was born. Jesus was born around roughly 4 to 2 B.C. in Bethlehem uh, to a poor family, right? Born of a virgin, we know, the son of a carpenter. Augustus declared his divinity through his, his uncle Julius Caesar. What I say, remember, deceiving them. Deceiving them. He knew that this comet was coming by. He put his, he flaunted it. He went around telling everybody, I'm the son of God. He accepted their worship knowing that he wasn't the son of God. Jesus declares divinity at age 12 when he said to his parents in the temple, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must not be in my father's house? He's about his father's business. He's not thinking of himself. He's about his father's business. Real piety. All right? Real piety in contrast to Augustus. Jesus taught people to love their enemies. I'm sorry. Augustus eliminated his enemies. Jesus taught people to love their enemies. Now this one here, the next one, is kind of long, but um, it's taken from what's called the Priene Calendar um, Inscription. Western Turkey is the place where Prayin was. They found it in 1860. And what it is basically is like an edict, a writing that honors Caesar Augustus. Listen carefully to the, to the, 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 the words that are used for this and how they glorify him as a god, the Antichrist uh, symbolism. Since providence, <clears throat> which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. Okay, they're saying... The, the great, you know, the Almighty has given us Augustus, whom she filled with the virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, right? That he might end war and arrange all things, okay? Sound like some of the, the prophecy we have, right, for Jesus? And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. They're in for a surprise, right? And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings. If you really look at that and, and pay attention, read that slowly, you'll see there's a lot of him claiming to be God, a lot of Satan behind the scenes there glorifying man in the, the time, the perfect time Christ comes. Because man is glorifying himself. Caesar is worshipped as a god. And he's going to bring peace, right? 
the Prince of Peace comes. He's going to end all war, arrange all things, right? And we know that Jesus, his government's never going to end, and his kingdom will last forever. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting to me how you can see the, the contrast. Real piety in Christ. Jesus' birth was initially announced in a tiny town called Bethlehem, where angels spoke to shepherds in the field, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. But his message is proclaimed in the four Gospels, which make up part of history's most popular book, the Bible. And Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. About 2,000 years ago, Augustus ruled over approximately 5 million Roman citizens. Well, Jesus rules in the hearts of the multitudes who have trusted to him as their Lord and Savior for over the past 2,000 years. A month on a calendar is named after Augustus. He did that, by, 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 by the way. He named August after himself. Jesus Christ is the founder of the church, the body of Christ. He is a living word of God. I added this in myself. Uh, he's part of the greatest faith movement in history. Time is centered around his birth, not just the month, right? And Jesus is the spoken living word of God, the incarnate God who came, right? He spoke everything to existence. A big, big, uh, a big difference in... in um, in real, a real savior. Uh, Augustus held the title of Caesar, a Roman Empire. Jesus is the Christ or Messiah, which means the anointed one or chosen one of God, the deliverer of his people. The Lord saves is what Jesus means, the root of the word, okay? That's, remember the angel spoke, and Gabriel spoke to uh, Mary and, and um, I believe Joseph, explaining that, name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins, right? He came with an exact reason, to save people from their sins. Um, and this one probably... A lot of our favorites. Augustus is still in the grave. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father because the grave could not hold him. Right? Could not hold him because he had no sin. Right? Sin leads to death. Christ had no sin. Therefore, he couldn't die. Now, piety, um, I, think, I think, sums it up here in, in just reflecting on this. Augustus' last words, like I said, it's, it's recorded that on his deathbed, his last recorded words were this, as I said earlier. I found Rome a city of bricks and left it a city of marble. Well, the rock comes, Jesus Christ comes, right, and destroys the marble at just the right time. I mean, he shows humility versus pride and arrogance. You know, true pious behavior of God, a loving God. These are his last words. What are some of Jesus' last words? Think about what Jesus said at the end. Father, forgive them, for they not know what they're doing, right? They don't know what they're doing. He's, 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 he's putting forgiveness on, on, on the people that are crucifying him, right? I thirst. How about that? It's transparency. It's honesty. What leaders do you know how honest they are today, right? He's being honest. I thirst. He's not hiding anything. How about that for humility and love? And he doesn't impress anybody like Caesar Augustus does. He's trying to impress people here. I left it a city of bricks and clay, right? And I just left it a city of marble. His last words. Think of Jesus' last words. Thinking of others on the cross where he says to John and Mary, right? Mother, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Thinking of others, not himself, right? Devotion to other people and not himself, as Caesar Augustus was. Um, it is finished. The work is done, right? He came here and did what he had to do. Now, this here, this last verse, this is, a, this is one of the verses that my wife and I um, teach our children um, put to put to memory. It's a great verse, and, you know, it seems like such a simple verse, but I've been, I've been reflecting on this verse. I've at times meditated on it, studied it, and it's so deep and expounds so greatly. Like, you could take this verse and go in such a deep understanding of the Lord and who he is and a biblical study with it, and... It's 1 Corinthians 1.9, which says, God is faithful. 
by whom he has called you into the fellowship of his Son, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God is faithful. God was faithful at just the right time, preparing everything, mankind, for when Christ would be born. He's going to be faithful in his second coming as well. If he was faithful in the first, he's going to be faithful in the second, right? That's what we need to understand. And understand as well that he called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. When he, when he was, comes, comes here on earth, you know, Pastor Frank touched on this uh, during Christmas, to have a relationship with us, right? Born to die, born to bear witness to the truth, born to be a king, born to, you know, take on the sin of man, born to go to the cross, but born to have fellowship with us, right? Born to have fellowship with us, a relationship with us. When you have a perfect timing where everything is just probably me, 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 like it is today. Let's get bigger, let's get stronger, let's get more, let's increase, let's, let's just rule the world. Well, here comes baby Jesus, you know. Humble, vulnerable, born of a woman, right? Born the seed of a woman. It says in Galatians, born of a woman, born under the law, just like we are, right? Really, that's it's for the Jewish people who were, bought, who were given the law, but we're grafted in, that applies to us. Okay, we're born under the law. Okay, it's in our conscience, the word tells us to bear, we know the difference between right and wrong. We're born under that law. We're adopted into that family as children of God when we give our life to Christ. Um, if he was faithful in the first coming and the timing was just right, we should take away from this that let's not be afraid, let's not worry. Let's remember he's faithful and his timing the second time is going to be the perfect timing as well. <laughs> right? Because there's no mistakes. There's no confusion. There's no wondering when it's going to happen. He's sovereign. He knows already when it's going to happen. It's we and the world that's being prepared for it. So take also the parallels between the Roman Empire then and the culture we're in now. We talked about this and Pastor Frank has studied on this that the new Roman Empire will be developed right? The Antichrist will rise up, okay? There will be another empire. There will be that world power. There will be an Antichrist to set the stage, right? And Christ, we get a horse. My kids ask me all the time, Daddy, are we going to get a horse? I said, yeah, we're going to get a horse, baby. We're going to get our own white horse. He's coming back, and he's faithful. So God has prepared it. He's, he's, he's done it in the past. He's going to do it again. God keeps his promises, and God alone, he's the one that's pious. He's the one that's pious. He, Jesus Christ, right? Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and let's keep him there. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. It's awesome. Cool.